At around 9 p.m., Robert's wife, Gail, came over to the Broberg home and she was worried. She also didn't know where Robert or Jan were. And Marianne told her that she wanted to call the police, but Gail said, no, don't do anything. I'm sure he'll be coming any minute. Hey everyone, welcome back to What Happened with Jackie Flores. I'm Jackie and I'm super, super excited that you guys are listening to my new podcast. We are on episode 11, which is absolutely crazy. I don't know how time went by so fast. Like, how are we already on episode 11? The feedback has been absolutely amazing for the podcast and I'm just so excited for it to keep growing. And if there's ever any specific cases that you would like me to cover, please let me know through Instagram or leave me a comment on my YouTube channel. Now, today's case is truly wild. We are going to be talking about what happened to Jan Broberg. When I first heard about this case, I was shocked, like my jaw truly dropped to the floor. I couldn't believe that this was real. And there's actually a series about what happened to Jan that she was involved in and she helped produce on Peacock. I recently watched it and I was like, let me do my own research on this and figure out what actually happened. Because again, it's very shocking and I do just want to put a trigger warning that we are going to be talking about child sexual abuse. Now, what makes this case just absolutely shocking is that Jan was abducted not once, but twice by the same man. What happened happened to her is truly heartbreaking and there's just so much information to go over so let's jump right in and let's talk about what happened to Jan Broberg. Jan Broberg was born on July 31st, 1962 to her parents, Marianne and Bob in Pocatello, Idaho. She was the oldest child in her family and she has two younger sisters named Karen and Susan. Now, Jan had a really bubbly personality growing up. Her family says that she was outgoing and just a firecracker. She was a big sister, so she was kind of like the bossy one, but she was also really close with her two sisters and they were basically best friends. Now, as for Jan's parents, Marianne and Bob, they were pretty traditional parents. They all went to church together. They would have dinner together every single night and you know they just absolutely loved their children and their family. Bob owned a local flower shop and Marianne was a stay-at-home mom who was fully focused on raising the three children. The family was Mormon and they all went to church together every single week. Marianne was actually involved in the church choir and they were just very active people in the community. Bob and Marianne absolutely loved their children and Bob would actually play the piano every single day to wake up his daughters. Now the neighborhood that they lived in was very safe. Keep in mind that this was like in the 60s and 70s so this was back when people didn't even lock their doors because that's how safe they felt in the neighborhood they were friends with all of their neighbors and they just figured that no one in this community would hurt them it honestly seems like this family and jan just had a picture-perfect life you know a traditional white picket fence lifestyle in june of 1972 jan was 10 years old and this is when her family started to grow closer to another local family known as the Birchtolds. the Birchtolds consisted of 36 year old robert his wife Gail and their five children. The families actually met at church and Marianne was the one that introduced Robert to the rest of her family. Robert owned a local furniture store and he was just very charismatic. They actually had a lot in common. I mean, they were all members of the LDS church. Both fathers had their own businesses and their children were the same age. So the children started hanging out with each other. The wives started hanging out more and the fathers started hanging out more. So the family just started to grow really, really close to each other. It was just one of those situations where they would all hang out. 
out. You know, they would go have sleepovers together. They would even go on vacations together. They would have picnics. They would go to talent shows, music shows. They would do arts and crafts together. And they all just had so much fun bonding. Now, since both fathers were named Robert, Robert Birch told told the Brobergs to call him B. Now, that was kind of like the nickname he gave himself. That way there would be no confusion since they both had the same name. However, for the sake of the video, I'm just going to refer to Robert as Robert and Bob Broberg as Bob. And Robert actually started to grow really close to the Broberg girls. He would actually pick the girls up from their house and drive them to school every single morning. And on the way there, they would all shout, it's going to be a great day. He actually started to become a father figure to Jan and her two sisters. He was like the fun dad. So he would take all the girls out for ice cream with his own kids. And he would entertain them with stories about aliens and UFOs. He started to grow particularly close to Jan and he would bring her gifts and he would take her out, just the two of them alone. He would take her to the movies about space and UFOs and Jan even got a job working at Robert's furniture store and Robert often took Jan and the kids on frequent outings and he actually gave her the nickname Dolly. Almost every single night Robert would come over to the house to catch up with Marianne and Bob and afterwards he would also hang out with the kids and they would do puzzles together and watch movies. Now the Brobergs were very trusting of Robert but the amount of trust that they put into him went too far. Robert confided in the family and told them that he had been going to a psychiatrist due to his depression, something that he had been struggling with since he was 10 years old due to some abuse that he had suffered at the hands of his aunt. He told the Brobergs that his psychiatrist told him that part of his therapy required laying by a child and listening to tapes given to him by his therapist. So because that was part of his treatment, he actually asked the family if he could sleep next to Jan, their 12-year-old daughter. Yes, he asked the family if he could sleep next to this 12-year-old child. And the family agreed. Now, this didn't sound as sinister or inappropriate to the Brobergs at the time as it does to us now listening to it in 2023, which I know is so difficult to understand. But keep in mind that this happened in the 70s. A lot of people in this community of Idaho didn't even know what a pedophile was. In fact, some of the FBI agents that worked on this case later on also admitted that they didn't know what a pedophile was. It just wasn't super common. And at this time, Jan's family honestly didn't see anything wrong with this. Jan's bedroom was at the end of the hallway downstairs and Jan's mother, Marianne, would always be downstairs ironing clothes and, you know, doing other chores. So both parents would actually tuck Jan into bed. They would have her say her prayers. All of this happened by the time that Robert would come for the quote unquote therapy session. So Robert would get to the house, he would settle into Jan's bedroom and, you know, they would always have the door open, you know, just to as a precaution. And Jan's mother would always be coming in and out of the bedroom, you know, putting her clothes away while Jan and Robert were just laying next to each other on top of the covers. And he had his headphones on and he was listening to the tapes that his therapist gave him. However, it's not like he was listening to these tapes all night long and he was entertained doing that. He would only listen to these tapes for about 20 to 30 minutes and then he would just go upstairs. He would go have a conversation with Bob and Marianne and then he would just go home. Again, this is just like a allegedly what he says. We don't know if he was actually listening to the tapes that entire time. Now, this was something that Robert did about four times a week for months. Of course, Robert made it seem like this was something completely innocent. You know, this was something that he needed to do to heal. But this was just a ruse that he used to have access to Jan in a way that he would never have without her parents' permission. I mean, imagine if he had just straight up asked them, could I lay next to your daughter at night? 
The parents probably would have said no, but because he made the story about how his therapist recommended this because it would help heal his, you know, inner child, etc., he was able to manipulate Jan's parents into believing that this was okay, especially because a doctor recommended this. At the end of the day, the Brobergs were just trying to help their friend and, you know, they never should have agreed to let their daughter be used like that in the first place. It's also odd because Robert has his own children the same age as Jan, so he could have done this therapy next to his own child, but no, he specifically targeted Jan. It was just all very inappropriate behavior and again Jan's family just didn't realize that this was truly inappropriate and I'm sure if they knew the truth about Robert and about how truly disturbing he was they probably would have never let this happen because Robert had a secret. It turns out that he had been kicked out of the LDS church for charges of having a relationship with a young girl. I mean it's great that he was expelled from the church if things were done the right way. Robert should have had to register as a sex offender but that's not what happened and he continued to to have access to this community, his friends and their children, including Jan. So let's talk about what happened on Thursday, October 17th, 1974. Jan was 12 years old and Robert was 38. That day, Robert called Marianne and said that he actually wanted to take Jan horseback riding down in American Falls. Again, the families were extremely close and Jan had already spent one-on-one -on -one time with Robert. He had already taken her on special trips. So I guess Marianne didn't find this request weird at all because again, they've already spent time alone together. On top of that, horseback riding is something that a lot of young girls love to do. So I'm sure Marianne Marianne was excited for Jan to go. She agreed to this on the condition that Robert would bring Jan home before Bob would come for dinner. Robert reassured Marianne that, of course, Jan is going to be back before dinner time. Don't worry about it. And that's how Marianne agreed to this plan. Robert drove down the road. He picked Jan up from her piano class and the two of them headed off to American Falls. Jan says that she was very excited about this. You know, she really wanted to go horseback riding and she was just excited about this new adventure. As Jan and Robert were driving, he told Jan that he actually brought her allergy pills because Jan had really bad allergies, so she needed to take this pill now since they were going to be horseback riding and they were going to be around animals and outside. So he didn't want her to have bad allergies, so he gave her this pill. So Jan took the allergy pill, assuming that everything was fine. However, after swallowing the pill, Jan passed out pretty quickly. She had no recollection of getting to the stables or of the rest of the drive or anything. Now, going back to the Broberg household, dinner time was almost here, which meant that Jan should have already been back home because she was supposed to be home before Bob returned for the family dinner. However, Jan never returned. This is when Marianne started to get nervous and she wondered if maybe their car had broken down or if something bad had happened. You know, maybe they had gotten into some type of accident. Now, there were no cell phones back then, so there really was no way of contacting Robert and getting an update from him. Him. He could have called Jan's home from a payphone or from a store, but he didn't do that. He was completely MIA. At around 9 p.m., Robert's wife, Gail, came over to the Broberg home and she was worried. She also didn't know where Robert or Jan were. And Marianne told her that she wanted to call the police, but Gail said, no, don't do anything. I'm sure he'll be coming any minute. Now, why would Gail not want the police to look for her missing husband, especially if she was worried about him? But apparently Gail said that the disappearance might have something to do with Robert's manic depression. So the Brobergs agreed to wait because they didn't want to upset Gail. Now, personally, I think they should have been worried about Robert and Jan rather than Gail's feelings. Like, why do they care if Gail gets upset? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. But at the same time, they just really trusted Robert and they were hoping for the best. Honestly, Marianne said that she knew Robert wouldn't hurt Jan because he always talked about how her daughters were like his own and he always treated them with so much kindness. Now, the next day, there were still no signs of Robert or Jan. And 
and still no phone call. But once again, the Brobergs did not call the police. This is really crazy to me because Jan would have had school that day. So did they call the school and let them know that Jan wasn't coming? I mean, wouldn't the school have wanted them to call the police? I just don't really understand why they just waited. Now, two days after Jan disappeared, it was Saturday. And again, there was no sign of either Jan or Robert. This is when Bob insisted that it was time to get the police involved. So Marianne finally made a call and not just to 911 or to the police station, but to the FBI. Except the FBI's office was actually closed for the weekend. So they gave Marianne another number in Montana to call in the case of an emergency. But Marianne did not call that number. She apparently didn't want to get all of these people involved and, you know, worked up over nothing. Because again, she trusted Robert and truly believed that he would never hurt her daughter. Now, Gail had also convinced her that her 12-year-old daughter being missing for two days wasn't an emergency. On top of that, I guess she also trusted Robert, her husband as well. Like, I'm just also wondering at this point, what is even going through their mind? You know, how are they not concerned about them being in a possible car accident or, you know, something worse? I don't get why they were also convinced that everything was just fine. So everyone waited another day. Now it was Sunday, but Robert and Jan were still not back. So this is when Marianne finally called the number the FBI had given her. FBI investigators came to speak with both families on Tuesday, October 22nd, five days after Jan and Robert had been missing. This is when Gail admitted to investigators that she and Robert actually had an RV somewhere not too far away. Which I'm like, Gail, why didn't you say that before? I mean, five days have passed and you didn't share this information. So anyways, investigators, they go to look for this RV and sure enough, it's not there. The investigators informed the families of this, but they still thought that there was no type of foul play involved, at least not from Robert. Marianne kept saying he hasn't kidnapped her, but investigators immediately believed that he had. I mean, taking your daughter somewhere without your permission or knowledge of where she is, is kidnapping. But like I've said so many times, the families were just too close. They knew Robert very well, and they just believed that he had the best intentions for Jan. Also, another one of their neighbors had actually signed a letter of recommendation for Robert and Gail to go to Mexico and adopt a child. They were actually on their way to do that before Jan was kidnapped. So the community just completely trusted Robert, and they were blind blindsided by him. Not long after their investigation started, investigators discovered Robert's abandoned car. When they got closer to the car, they saw that one of the windows had been smashed and that there was blood on the window and on the car's dashboard. Also, the car's keys were still in the ignition. There were also tire tracks and footprints around the car. But investigators quickly discovered that the window was broken from the inside out, and they also believed that the tire marks came from the RV. So this all led them to believe that this was all a setup made by a not very sophisticated criminal. Around this time, Jan's sister remembers seeing their dad Bob sitting on Jan's bed and just crying. Now, Bob wasn't someone who hid his feelings, but the sister remembers never seeing him crying like that before. At this point, it's been days since Jan has been missing, so of course her parents are heartbroken by this. Now, investigators interviewed Robert's brother, Joe, and he said that Robert has always been interested in little girls. He said that when Robert was 12 and their little sister was 6, that Robert had molested her. And the fact that Joe described his brother's crimes so matter-of-factly and so casually is like crazy to me. But now let's go back and let's talk about Jan's perspective and what she was experiencing during this time. Jan says that when she woke up again, she didn't know where she was or what really was going on. But she said that she heard this weird sci-fi like alien sound coming from a box that was next to her. Now it's going to get a little confusing right now, but I'm going to do my best to explain this so that we all understand what happened, but it's going to get weird. 
So Dan is looking at this box next to her, and this box is speaking to her. It's saying that there are aliens named Zethra and Zeta, and that Jan is part alien. They tell her that her mom is actually her mom, but that her father is not her real father, and that the way Jan was born is because her mother was implanted by aliens. Again, Jan is hearing all of this coming from this small box, and these voices truly sounded like aliens. You know, they were telling her that Jan has to save the alien planet. The only way to do that is if she has sex and has a baby with her companion that they have selected by the time that she's 16 years old. And if she doesn't accomplish that, her sister Susan will have to fulfill this mission or everyone in her family would die. And Jan immediately believed all of this. Now, it might seem crazy that a 12-year-old girl would be so easily manipulated, but Jan lived a very sheltered life. She was also Mormon and raised to have faith in the teachings of her elders and to not question anything or look for facts. Jan also hadn't even started her period yet, and she knew that that meant that she couldn't have a baby so she wondered if the rules for conception were different with aliens. So Jan got up and she started looking around and that's when she realized that she was in an RV. After she left the room, she discovered Robert passed out with fake blood on him, but Jan didn't know that it was fake at the time. So Jan wakes him up and she asks, you know, what's going on? And that's when Robert tells her that he has no idea and that the last thing he remembers was driving her to go horseback riding when suddenly a light came down and they were abducted by aliens. And since Jan trusts Robert so much, of course she believes him. I mean, this is someone that she has seen as a father figure, someone that will take her to school, would play music with her, would take her to the movies. So imagine this, you know, she wakes up in the middle of nowhere in an RV and the only other person there is Robert, someone that she trusts. So of course she's going to take his word for it. Now, can we just talk about the level of premeditation for a second? Like Robert must have been planning this for a long time. He had to come up with this ridiculous story about aliens. He had to record this audio and somehow disguise his voice. He had to put fake blood on himself like it was just crazy so at this point jan believes that robert is the person or a companion that the box voice told her about since it's just the two of them there and she actually tells him that they need to have a baby together to save everyone so robert acts like this is all new information to him and he agrees it also turned out that at this point they were in mexico that is over a 15 hour drive now while there robert showed jan books about sex basically teaching her how to do it and they did have sex, if you want to call it that. But really, it was statutory rape that Jan was coerced into having. So nothing about this was actually consensual. Jan later said that Robert was slow and gentle. And there's a reason for that that we'll get into later. So Robert and Jan actually got married in Mexico because the law in Mexico during this time stated that you only had to be 12 to get married. Now, I don't know what the laws were about having two wives because Robert is still very much married to Gail at this point. So after Robert and Jan had been missing for 35 days, Robert made a call to his brother Joe. He asked him for some money and told his brother to tell Marianne to drop all the charges against him. Otherwise, him and Jan would never come back. He also wanted Marianne's permission to let Robert marry Jan because in the U.S., Jan needed her parents' consent to be married. So Joe called Marianne and he gave her the message. Marianne was, of course, so shocked and confused, but she decided to call the FBI and tell them about what Robert had said and that he must have Jan. I feel like Joe should have called the FBI immediately as soon as he heard from his brother, but no. He he decided to be the messenger and let Marianne know about the request that Robert was making. So the FBI tapped the phone lines of the Broberg house and of Joe's house so that they could locate Robert if he ever called again. At this point, Jan had been missing for 35 days, so Marianne was not going to call off the charges because this was wrong. I mean, Robert literally took her daughter for 35 days. Now, Robert did end up calling back and they were able to trace the call to a hotel in Mazatlan, Mexico. So the FBI contacted the local Mexico police and they showed 
showed up to the hotel and they literally kicked in the door. And when they walked in, Robert and Jan were there. That's when they took Jan and Robert to a Mexican prison and they separated them, which is exactly what should have happened so that Robert wasn't able to manipulate Jan any further and he wouldn't be able to get his story straight. But unfortunately, Robert bribed a guard and gave him his gold ring in exchange for letting him see Jan and talk to her privately, which is just really so upsetting. I mean, really? Like, why would they let that happen? I get that corruption is like a thing, but the fact that he was able to speak to Jan after literally kidnapping her, marrying her, and like taking taking her away from her family so that they could get their story straight is just so wrong. So Robert told Jan that she couldn't tell her parents anything about what happened or about the aliens and the mission. He told her that she needed to say that they just went to Mexico to have some fun and that this was all just a mistake. And Jan agreed because again, she deeply believed in this alien mission. Robert also said that Zethra and Zeta said that Jan couldn't get close to any other boy or man, including her own father. So after this, Bob and Marianne actually flew to Mexico to pick up Jan. And when Jan saw them, she immediately ran into their arms. But then and suddenly she became withdrawn, remembering the mission and what Robert had just said, how she can't get close to anyone else, specifically to her father. Bob said that on the whole ride home, she just wouldn't sit next to him or speak to him. Then when they got home, Jan just went into her room. Marianne took Jan to the doctor to be examined for possible injury and sexual trauma. At this point, Jan told her mom that nothing had happened between her and Robert and that he didn't touch her, which was a lie because of how manipulated she had been. So the doctor reported that Jan's hymen was still intact and that she had no tissue trauma consistent with sexual abuse. So this led Marianne to believe that nothing sexual had actually happened between them. But if you remember, Jan said that Robert was always very slow and gentle with her, meaning that he probably was doing that so that Jan wouldn't have any trauma and that he wouldn't break her hymen. Let's not forget, this wasn't Robert's first time doing this, so he probably learned to be more careful. After all this, Robert was indicted and he was brought back to the US. Now, he was supposed to go to trial for kidnapping Jan, but that's when Gail decided to step in. Remember, Gail is Robert's wife. So she stepped in and she made a call to Marianne, letting her know that she wanted to speak to her in person. And on December 24th, 1974, Gail showed up to the Broberg family home and told Bob and Marianne that they had to drop the charges against Robert and that they had to admit that they knew about this the entire time. Now, Bob and Marianne said no. I mean, of course they weren't going to drop the charges because Robert had literally kidnapped their daughter and they literally had no idea that he was actually taking her to Mexico. However, that's when Gail said that if they didn't drop the charges, she was going to tell everyone, including the press and their church, about how Marianne and Bob were having a sexual relationship with Robert. I know, it's shocking. Both parents were having an affair with the same person. Now, among the many disturbing details to emerge from the investigation was the fact that Robert had been sexually involved with both Bob and Marianne separately, without the other half of the couple knowing. So let's talk about how these two affairs happened because it's a lot to take in. As I mentioned at the start of the video, both families grew extremely close. In fact, Marianne was the one that introduced everyone to Robert. So Robert and Marianne had a particularly close relationship. They got so close that Marianne would actually start bringing lunch to Robert at his job basically every single day. And Marianne is a housewife and it's a 70s. So I feel like for this era, that's almost like a way of flirting, you know, like Robert's wife wasn't making him lunch every day anymore. Instead, Marianne 
was, which of course that can be friendly, but this wasn't. So it started off with the lunches. And then in the fall of 1972, Robert and Marianne attended an LDS trip to Utah together. While they were on this trip, they took it as an opportunity to hook up, not have sex, but hook up. So that's pretty much how their affair began. Marianne says that she just felt so much excitement with Robert. He would tell her that she had really nice legs and a really beautiful face. And, you know, Marianne says that she loved her husband. She did love Bob, but that there was just something about Robert and he just made her feel so alive. So now let's move over and let's talk about how Robert and Bob started their own affair. Later that same year, Robert showed up at Bob's flower shop that he owned and he seemed very anxious and upset. So he asked Bob, you know, do you have some free time? Can we get in our car and let's just drive and let's just talk this out? Bob agreed because, of course, he wanted to help out his friend. So he decided to get in the car with him. And then the two of them went for a ride. During this car ride, Robert confessed to Bob that he was having marriage troubles and he said that he was not satisfied with his wife. Gale. And this is when Bob realized that Robert was aroused and that he wanted Bob to notice this. Robert then asked Bob to assist him with an intimate release. And he acted like it wouldn't be a big deal, you know, for Bob to release him. This was basically Robert's way of seducing Bob into performing a sexual act with him. And Bob actually reached over and did it right there in the car. Now I'm wondering if this could actually be considered a form of sexual assault because Bob was kind of coerced into this act and, you know, he didn't just consent. So yeah, neither Marianne or Bob ever told each other about what transpired between them and Robert. Everything continued on as is, and Robert continued to have access to the duo's kids. Now, Bob and Marianne are members of the LDS, and in their religion, extramarital affairs are a big no. Like, that's not something that you do, and they're doing it with someone who is also a member of the church. Now, on top of that, the LDS does not support same-sex attraction. So, I'm pretty sure both Marianne and Bob did not want these secrets to come out and be the reason why their family was banished from the church. So, yeah, that's basically how these two relationships began between between Robert and both parents. Now, going back to the charges against Robert, Gail was actually using this as blackmail. Now, I'm sure Robert probably coerced Gail into doing this or forced her to go to the house and blackmail Bob and Marianne because I feel like in some type of way, maybe she's also a victim of his own abuse and it worked. Bob was very worried about this because he didn't want his church or everyone in the community to know what he had done with Robert. So he said that they needed to drop the charges and they ended up signing an affidavit saying that Robert did not kidnap Jan and that this was just a big misunderstanding, which is honestly so frustrating. You know, in that moment, I feel like Jan's parents cared more about their reputation than the trauma that their daughter had gone through or for her safety. Not to mention they weren't thinking about their daughter being possibly re-traumatized or other people being hurt by Roberts. Now, you might also be wondering why Gail would even take her husband back after he abandoned her and, you know, abandoned the family to go on vacation with Jan. Not saying she actually believed that lie, but, you know, he left their family for a 12-year-old girl. So it's just very confusing. Now, this was the 70s and Gail was a stay-at-home mom and she and her kids were totally financially dependent on Robert. Gail herself was also a victim of Robert's manipulation tactics. So even though the Brobergs pulled out, the court said that they were still going to be pressing charges. You know, it wasn't up to them to decide whether or not Robert should go to jail because even though the Brobergs felt like this was, you know, not something bad, the rest of the world did feel like this was bad and that Robert needed to go to jail. 
However, they were a little bit worried because without the Brobergs as witnesses to this trial, this would be a lot harder. So after this, Robert ends up returning to the church and the church actually forgave him for what he did. And now everyone is under the belief that this was just all a misunderstanding, you know, thanks to the blackmailing that Gail did. So the church forgave him and he just came back into the community. And Jan and Robert continued to be in each other's lives. One night, Jan woke up to the sound of alien voices. Somehow the same box that was in the RV when Jan was kidnapped was in her room. The aliens told her that she still had to complete the mission and obey the rules. She continued to remain distant from her family and at one point, Robert and Jan started writing each other love letters, which they weren't really love letters because again, Jan is 12 and it's not true love. These were inappropriate letters and an example of one of these letters is that Robert wrote, quote, I love you, Dolly. I enjoyed so much our days together. You are mighty special and I am proud to call you mine. I will see you for the ball signed B. Now in Jan's letters, she would also sign off saying, quote, your dolly Jan. Now during this time, Jan also started telling her mom that she wanted to marry Robert. I feel like that should have raised the red flags for Marianne, but for whatever reason, Jan and Robert were still allowed to keep in touch with each other. One day in the spring of 1975, Robert called the Broberg's phone and Marianne answered, and she questioned Robert about why he wanted to marry Jan. Now Robert said, if you come to my RV, I'll explain everything. So she went out to that she could hear him out. And when Marianne and Robert were alone at the RV, Robert put on his charm that originally had Marianne attracted to him and they ended up having sex. This started this affair back up and for the next eight months, they would meet up regularly to have sex. But again, this also allowed Robert to have even more access to Jan. Now, it's just really hard not to judge the parents and, you know, be upset with them because the behavior they had is truly shocking. However, as we will get into a little bit later, Jan says that her parents were manipulated by Robert and that no no one will understand how manipulative this person was. But at the same time, I just feel like it's so hard to understand how Marianne could have sex with the man that kidnapped her 12-year-old daughter and married her in Mexico. Now, after eight months of having this affair, Robert decided to call Bob and tell him everything. He told him the truth about how he was having an affair with his wife. And of course, Bob was completely heartbroken and shocked. He actually broke down and he started to cry. You know, this is a man that kidnapped their child and now he's sleeping with his wife. It was just a lot for him to take in emotionally. So Bob decided to confront Marianne about this information and he told her that he actually wanted a divorce and that he was serious about it. He actually took their three daughters and filed for divorce papers and filed papers forcing Marianne to move out of their house on the grounds that she was putting their daughter's safety at risk. Honestly, Bob wasn't wrong for doing that because at this point, Bob didn't really have any contact with Robert. You know, they were no longer friends or had any type of relationship because again, Robert literally kidnapped their child. But now Marianne was having an affair with him. It just, it didn't make sense. And Bob truly felt like Marianne did not have their daughter's best interests at hand. Now, Robert was also trying to convince Marianne to divorce Bob. He told her that she could move in with him and that she would definitely get custody of the children because of Bob's homosexual affair. Okay, but that was also his homosexual affair. Like, he also participated in that. And, you know, to me, this just shows what Robert's true intentions were with Marianne. It's not like he loved Marianne. He didn't actually want her. He just wanted her to move in so that he could have constant access to Jan and honestly, probably the other daughters. 
So Marianne decided to beg Bob to forgive her and take her back, and he actually did. After this, Robert moved away. He left Idaho, but he continued to contact Jan. At this point, Jan had become completely withdrawn from her family. She wouldn't talk to her dad, Bob, and she just felt like she had really strong feelings for Robert. She said at first it started, you know, like a love for another father figure. Like she loved Robert in a fatherly way, but now that love was turning into a romantic love, and she says that she actually started to have romantic feelings for him which again she's a minor so it's not romantic feelings that's just the way that robert was manipulating her so now it's the early summer late spring of 1976 and robert moved to jackson hole wyoming and he actually purchased a family fun center yes a man who had sexually assaulted a young girl and is still waiting on his trial for kidnapping her was able to open a family fun center now if the sex offender registry had existed then robert would not have been able to do that but he was able to. So while Robert is there, he is still writing letters and calling Jan. So in June of 1976, it was finally time for Robert's trial for felony kidnapping to happen. Because remember, the Brillbergs had dropped the charges, but the state still wanted to prosecute him. So the trial finally began, but since the Brillbergs had dropped the charges, there was really no witnesses to testify in the case. There just really wasn't much to do in this trial. And in the end, Robert signed paperwork calling Jan's 1974 kidnapping and assault a misunderstanding and he actually accepted a plea deal he received a five-year sentence but the judge decided to decrease his punishment to just 45 days robert was given three months to self-surrender and then his sentence would begin unlike 45 days 45 days for kidnapping a minor and taking her for 35 days and marrying her? It's just shocking. Now, Jan begged her parents to go work at Robert's Recreation Center for the summer, but of course her parents refused this. I mean, Robert was literally just sentenced for kidnapping her. So of course they said no, but Jan really wanted to go with Robert. She begged and begged, and then she started to threaten to hitchhike or run away if they didn't let her go. That's when Marianne actually gave in and she allowed Jan to get on a plane all by herself and go visit Robert in Wyoming at the end of June. Yes, the mom literally let her leave again to go with Robert, the same guy that had kidnapped her. It's just crazy and she was there completely on her own for two weeks and she stayed with Robert in his trailer. Now, Bob was not happy about Marianne allowing this, which I agree with, and it just caused more problems in their marriage. Now, surprisingly, Jan did return home from this trip. However, she did not come back happy. And then on August 10th, 1976, when Jan was now 14 years old, Bob and Marianne went into Jan's room and discovered a note that she had left behind. The note said, quote, Dear Bob and Marianne, you won't let me do what's right, so I will do what's wrong. I am leaving without Robert and do not plan on coming back until you accept me as me. I cannot accept your religion or your screwed up morals. I just want to be me and have be. Please, before all of us are destroyed, let me go. Now, this letter actually showed how young Jan was, you know, because so many words were misspelled and she was clearly referencing the aliens at the end, which I'm sure her parents at the time didn't understand. Now, the parents read this note and they didn't immediately call the police. They said they were afraid about the press finding out that Jan had ran away on their watch. So they didn't call the FBI for two weeks. Again, I just feel like I've said this so many times, but it's just so hard not to judge the parents because why did they wait two weeks to report their daughter missing again? If I would have seen that note, I would have immediately called the police despite what the press was gonna think about me. 
So two weeks went by, and that's when the family finally decided to report Jan's disappearance. The police got this call, and they immediately went to go investigate Robert, but Jan was nowhere to be found. They started talking to Robert about this, and he said that he had not seen Jan and that he was very worried about her. And remember, this is all happening during the three months that Robert has to surrender himself for the first kidnapping of Jan. So on September 1st, 1976, Robert turned himself in. Even though he was supposed to serve a 45-day sentence, he got out after just 10 days. Yes, 10 days for kidnapping Jan for over 35 days and taking her to Mexico to get married. And apparently he was only given 10 days because of his good behavior. So after Robert gets out of jail, he actually moves to Salt Lake City, Utah to work for his brother. Now, despite Robert being in jail and, you know, everything going down with that, the FBI still believed that he knew where Jan was. So they had constant surveillance on Robert and they even tapped his phone. But Jan was still not found. As for Robert, he continued to remain in contact with the family all throughout Jan's disappearance. He would call the parents to let them know that he was worried about her and that he was worried that she might be prostituting or, you know, doing something else to, you know, make ends meet and survive on her own. He was truly acting as if he had no idea what happened to Jan and that he was innocent. But One day when the FBI was watching Robert, they saw him go use a payphone. He opened up a phone book and then he had a call that lasted between 10 to 15 minutes. But when he hung up and walked out of the phone booth, he actually left the phone book open on the same page. So investigators immediately went inside the phone booth and they looked at the phone book and they called back the number that Robert had been talking to. And shockingly, the number he had dialed was to an all-girls Catholic boarding school in Pasadena, California. So the FBI go to this boarding school and they ask administrators if they have a student there named Jan Broberg. But the school says that there is no student there with that name. And after, you know, a couple of minutes of speaking with them and, you know, pressing them, they were able to finally admit that there was a new student there named Jan. But her last name was different. She was Jan Tobler, not Jan Broberg. They also said that Jan had arrived with her dad who claimed to be a CIA agent and that he had escaped from Lebanon and that people were after him and his daughter, which is why he needed to put his daughter in this boarding school. I mean, Robert literally tried to manipulate the school into never telling anyone that this girl went to school there. But thankfully, they did tell the FBI. And, you know, his lies were just so out there and insane. I mean, saying that he was, you know, a CIA agent that was on the run and that people were after his daughter. It's just also wild to me. You know, the amount of planning and lies and manipulation that this guy had is crazy. So four months after Jan had gone missing, the FBI was able to finally bring her home. But Jan didn't want to go with them. An FBI agent at the time remarked that Jan and Robert had a very unusual relationship, which I'm just like, that's not unusual. It's inappropriate. Like, it just shows how at this time, you know, even certain FBI agents didn't really understand what, you know, a pedophile was or or what grooming was. And Jan still believed that she was supposed to have a baby with Robert or else everyone would die. You know, she still believed in the mission. I also think that it should be noted that Robert clearly planned Jan's disappearance to link up with when he was in jail that he would not be considered a suspect. But luckily, the FBI knew better. So after finding Jan, Robert was again arrested on November 12, 1976. Not long after this, on January 24th, 1977, someone burned down Bob's flower shop that had been in business for 40 years. Can you imagine going through all of this? I mean, your daughter gets kidnapped for a second time by the same man, then she's found, the man gets arrested, and then your flower shop burns down? It was just a lot. So let's talk about how this fire happened. It turns out that while Robert was in jail, he hired two men to set the fire in exchange for $1,000 a month for the rest of their lives. Yeah, Robert literally hired someone to 
to burn down the flower shop. The two men were eventually found and they went to prison for arson, but there just wasn't enough evidence connecting Robert to them. So Robert wasn't even charged in connection to this fire. After this, in June 1977, it was time for Robert's trial. His charges were first-degree kidnapping, arson, and burglary. Again, he wasn't charged for sexual assault. Robert's arson and burglary charges were dropped, and the two men actually pleaded guilty for arson. But again, there just wasn't enough evidence to connect Robert to hiring them to do this. So for his kidnapping charges, Robert argued that he was raised on an isolated ranch and that he was abused by the family's help, and that that's the reason why he was so infatuated with Jan. He also added that he had to look after his younger sister from a very early age. So there was just a lot of childhood trauma that he had. However, the court didn't really believe this or really care about these excuses because that doesn't mean that what he did to Jan is validated. So Robert ended up being acquitted of these charges by the reason of insanity. So he was actually sentenced to a maximum security mental facility in June of 1997. But shockingly, he was released after just six months. Now, it was also revealed that Robert had targeted a second victim soon after. In this mental facility that Robert was sentenced to live in, he made friends with his psychiatric nurse and he quickly found out that she had a young daughter. He became best friends with the nurse and that's when he started grooming the younger daughter. After he had kidnapped Jan, he held that girl in his apartment for 119 days, the whole time while he was being best friends with her mother. This young girl was deeply traumatized and she confessed to a friend at school that she wanted to kill herself because she didn't achieve her mission, a mission that Robert had given her. Sounds familiar to the mission that Jan was given. Now, the best friend was alarmed and she immediately told her mom. That's how she found out that her former patient, this man who she called her best friend, had been raping her daughter in his apartment and holding her captive. He had played the same tapes that he had played for Jan for her as well. But in less than a year, he got out of jail after this offense, which again, I think is crazy. I don't get what's going on. Like, why is he not jailed for life? Now let's go back to Jan. She has now been abducted twice by the same man and at this point she's 15 years old and she's realizing that Robert was starting to become much less interested in her. During this time she went to drama camp and a boy that liked her bought her an ice cream. But Jan immediately freaked out and she threw it on the ground and she ran away. Because at this point, she is still believing that what the aliens told her is true. That if she gets close to any other guy, both of her parents would die because of the mission. So much more time goes by and it's getting close to Jan's 16th birthday. And she's starting to panic. Remember, the aliens told her that when she turned 16, she needed to give Robert a baby. And if it didn't happen, she would vaporize and her sister would have to take over for the mission. So of course, Jan is freaking out. You you know, she turns 16 soon and she doesn't know if she's going to complete the mission. But the day finally comes when she turns 16 and nothing happened. No one was vaporized. No one died. I mean, everything the aliens told her would happen didn't happen. And that's when Jan realized that the whole thing was a lie. Jan ended up confessing to her best friend everything that had happened. You know, everything about the RV, about the aliens, about the mission, everything. And then she told her sisters and her parents the truth. Suddenly, everything made sense to the parents about the way Jan had been acting. That's why she was so cold to them, you know, because she knew that if she got close to them, they would die. Now, later on, Jan and her family were also able to put more pieces together about Robert's grooming towards Jan. They started looking at his behavior towards her before the first kidnapping. And that's when they realized that this was wrong. What Robert was doing to her was just truly inappropriate. 
Now, in the year 2023, the definition of grooming is more commonly known. But back when this all happened in the 70s, grooming really wasn't a thing to a lot of people. It was defined as just the loving and doting behavior of a family friend. No one saw this as inappropriate, and no one wanted to believe that a close family friend had evil intentions. So now, looking back, Jan and her family realized that the, quote, loving and doting behavior that they thought Robert was giving her was wrong. And again, I just want to put a trigger warning because what I'm going to mention next is deeply disturbing. So an example of Robert's grooming was in the summer of 1972. Jan was 10 years old and Robert's family would often host these big sleepovers at their house on their trampoline. During one of these sleepovers, Jan woke up to Robert touching her and her underwear was around her ankles. Of course, you know, she woke up confused and Robert told her that she did this all to herself because she was sleeping restlessly. Now at the time, Jan was just 10 years old, so she didn't think too much about this because again, she trusted Robert. In another instance that happened in June of 1973, Jan actually went on vacation to Seattle with Robert's family. She was the only sibling from her family to go, and one day on this trip, something happened to Jan, and she just started acting really weird, and she lost consciousness. Robert decided to take her back to the hotel room so that, you know, she could get some rest and feel better. And when she woke up in the hotel room, she saw that Robert was naked in the room. Now, it was also later discovered that Robert's therapist, who had prescribed him to sleep next to the child as a way of recovering from trauma, surprise surprise wasn't actually a real licensed therapist there's just no records that this guy has any type of license and robert just made the entire thing up as for the note that jan left her parents when she ran away the second time jan says that robert was the one that convinced her to write that and he actually gave jan a paper full of pointers on what to write on her note to her parents and said that this is what the aliens zeta and zethra wanted her to say to them you know that's why she refers to her parents by their first names in the letter Now, when Jan was at boarding school, Robert would communicate with her by using other children at the school to send her notes and letters with instructions such as be at the phone booth at a certain time, which is just crazy that he was using kids to get to Jan. You know, then he would get on the phone with her and he would tell her what to do next, getting super specific with the details, like when she should write the note and where she should put it and what she should put in her backpack and, you know, where she would leave her backpack, you know, things like that. So let's talk about what happened after Jan was rescued and her family realized that she had been groomed by Robert the entire time. Marianne, Jan's mother, ended up writing a book called Stolen Innocence, the Jan Broberg story. Jan co-wrote this book with her and they talk about, you know, what happened, how she was abducted when she was 12 and 14 years old and just everything that she went through. During one of the press conferences that they had to promote the book in St. George, Utah, Robert actually showed up. Jan says that she feels like Robert showed up because he was desperate, you know, because he knew that her story was coming out to the world and that everyone was going to know how truly sick he was. So he showed up to this press conference with a weapon and it was a very scary situation for everyone involved. Now, Robert actually did an interview with ABC News about the book and about this press conference, which I just found a little bit odd because I haven't seen him do many interviews about what happened, but this time he decided to speak out. He says that he went to the press conference not to see or speak to Jan or her mother, but to talk to members of a group called Bikers Against Child Abuse. Now, 11 bikers attended
attended this conference at Jan's request for safety protection, according to a volunteer there. Now, Robert claims that members of the Bikers Against Child Abuse had been going to his house in Nevada ever since Jan began promoting her book and that they had been threatening him. He says that one of the bikers actually tried to attack him. This biker jumped on Robert's minivan as he was trying to leave. And after this incident, Robert was arrested on charges of simple assault, criminal trespassing and disorderly conduct. But he was released on bail and the volunteer of Bikers Against Child Abuse was not seriously injured. So he says that he showed up to the conference just to confront the Bikers Against Child Abuse and ask them to leave him alone. He says he didn't show up to confront Jan or her mother. But again, who knows if that's the truth? I mean, this guy lies all the time, so I don't see why he had to show up with a weapon. Now, in regards to what he thinks about the book that Jan and Marianne published, he disputes pretty much all of the book's claims. He says that, yes, he did have a relationship with Jan, but that it was not sexual, and that he also never talked to her about UFOs, and that he never tried to brainwash her. He said, quote, they're trying to make a buck. He says he never groomed her and that he just wanted to take care of Jan. Robert says that he knows it's wrong to have a relationship with a young girl and that years of therapy have helped him find out why he had such a strong need to take care of Jan. Now, keep in mind, this statement is from an article in 2004 with ABC News, so I'm not sure if later he felt differently about this. But once again, he blamed it on when he was a teenager and how he had to take care of his younger sister. And, you know, that childhood trauma happened and that's why he decided to get close to Jan. Which to me doesn't make sense. Like, what does that have to do with anything? I don't get it. Now, in regards to the first kidnapping that he did when he took Jan to Mexico, Robert says that Jan went on this trip with him voluntarily and that Jan's parents called the police after they figured they weren't coming back. As for the second kidnapping, when he took her to the Catholic school in Pasadena, he says that he only sent her to the school because she didn't want to be at her house. However, he says that he did not tell Jan's parents about his plans to send her to Pasadena and that that was his mistake. Yeah, he says that was his mistake, not telling the parents that he was going to do this not that he actually kidnapped her twice. It's just crazy. You know, I just feel like all the excuses that he makes are kind of crazy. You know, he tries to make it seem like he really didn't do anything bad and he denies most of the allegations that Jan has made against him. So it seems like he hasn't really taken responsibility for all of the terrible things that he has done. Also, in the first kidnapping, Jan was 12. So it's not like she could actually consent to wanting to go to Mexico with him because she's literally a minor. So Jan ended up getting a lifelong restraining order against Robert in 2004 after he confronted her in a court room, which was actually their first real face-to-face meeting in years. And, you know, she stood her ground and told him that she was going to continue to tell her family's story to stop predators like him. Robert confronted Jan in court saying, quote, she's an actress. She's made up all these lies about me to ruin my life. How's it going? Has someone made a movie about you yet? But Jan did not let him get to her. And she calmly replied and said, quote, Mr. Birch told the only reason I'm telling my story is to protect other girls. Now, Robert was actually going to go to jail for breaking this restraining order, but to avoid this, he drank alcohol mixed with medications and he actually took his own life. Now, often psychopaths and manipulators want to go out their own way. So he had to control the narrative, even if that meant ending his life over spending time in jail. Now, when Jan heard that Robert had taken his own life, she said that she kind of just sat there and she was stunned. She just kind of felt a lot of emotions. You know, she felt relieved. She felt sadness and she 
she also felt anger. She just felt like he got out way too easy and she was also sad for his children and for his ex-wife. I mean, they lost their father and she lost her ex-husband. You know, despite everything that he had done, it was just very difficult for everyone to go through something like this. You know, Jan says that she wasn't just harmed by what happened. His children were also harmed and his ex-wife. She says that there was just such a big aftermath and that everyone's lives were ruined because of him. So she just felt a lot of emotions, but in the end, she did feel relieved that he could no longer hurt her or her family anymore. Now, as for the children, there really isn't that much information about them, which I totally understand. I'm sure they probably don't want to talk about this or be in the spotlight and you know, be constantly reminded about what their father did. But according to a Vanity Fair article from 2022, they did an interview with Jan after the new show came out, you know, the Peacock one. And they were asking her, you know, you are so close to the Birch told children for years. What happened to the children? Have you been in touch with them? And Jan said that no, she is not in contact with any of the children and that the only time she did have contact was when Robert was trying to defame her mom for writing the book. So Jan's sister, Susan, who is an attorney, called Robert's son, Jimmy, who is also an attorney. And she called him and said, your father said that you're his attorney. And Jimmy replied and said, I would never represent my father. But how are you, Susan? How is your family? And that was it. Jan says that's the only true contact that she has ever had between her family and Robert's children. They have been invited to share their side of the story, including the ex-wife, Gail, but they've never wanted to talk about this or do any interviews. And, you know, Jan says that she just hopes that they're doing okay and that she can't imagine being in their shoes. Now, in the aftermath, a lot of people have raised fingers at Jan's parents. In 2019, there was a documentary released on Netflix called Abducted in Plain Sight. Now, this was a real-life documentary that Jan and her parents participated in. They spoke about what happened, and they were very vulnerable and honest about the mistakes that they had made and, you know, everything that they had gone through. Well, when this documentary was released, a lot of people were in shock, and they just couldn't believe what Jan's parents had done to her. I mean, I remember watching the documentary, and I just was shocked myself, you know, because I couldn't believe that this was real life and I just didn't understand how all of this had happened and how Jan still had a good relationship with both of her parents. I remember going on Twitter and seeing everyone talking about the parents and it was just very viral. A lot of the viewers blamed her parents and they questioned how this could have happened and how Jan forgave them. You know, they were her guardians and they were supposed to protect her from this abuser, but they didn't do that. You know, they literally sent her on an airplane to go stay in his RV again and allowed him to have access to her. And you know, sometimes it seemed like they cared more about their reputation than Jan's safety. I mean, they literally wrote a letter absolving their daughter's abuser of all his crimes just to save face in their church. Now, this was not covered in the documentary, but the Brobergs actually later rescinded their letter stating that Jan's first kidnapping was a miscommunication and they actually asked the government to take action on Robert. But, you know, it's really a little too late in this case, but at least they were able to support Jan in some type of way. Again, this was just all very shocking information to the public. So, so Jan spoke out publicly about this because her family did not expect to get this type of backlash. They were honestly very surprised to see all of these hateful messages. And Jan says that her parents are brave because they were vulnerable and honest to the public, to the world and to people that they didn't even know. You know, they didn't have to share this story with people, but they wanted to put themselves out there so that they could help others with their story and share their mistakes with others and hope that people will learn from this. And, you know, Jan says that she honestly felt like she had nothing to forgive. She actually made a post on 
her Instagram page and the title of this post was how did I forgive my stupid parents? Now I clicked on the video and I was like nervous because I was like this is a very bold title so I was nervous of what I was gonna hear but in the video Jan says that her parents were anything but stupid. She says that's what people think that her parents were stupid that they just ignored her and that they let her get abused by this man but she says no that's not what happened. She says that her parents were kind caring and supportive and she said that this man came into her and into her family's life and that he was just completely manipulative. She says that he's a narcissist, you know, he's a con man and he knew how to get deep into this family where they would never actually suspect him. You know, Robert worked really hard to have a good relationship with Jan's mom and with her dad just to continue to manipulate them, which is very common in grooming cases. You know, they want to even groom the parents that way they can continue to remain in control. Jan says that she feels like her parents were brainwashed by Roberts and that now the family is educated as to what grooming looks like. And again, her parents were vulnerable and they did open up to the public about what happened, you know, so the public could also understand what grooming and manipulation looks like. She says that her parents are the bravest people she knows and that they were gaslighted and blackmailed by a sociopath. Her parents deeply regret the mistakes that they made and they've been suffering for it and they've apologized to Jan endlessly. So Jan forgives her parents and while it may be difficult for us to understand why she did and how she was able to do that, at the end of the day, it's up to her whether or not she forgives her own parents and what type of relationship she has with them. As for Jan's parents now in 2023, Marianne is now in her 80s and she told the New York Post that she still feels ashamed for falling for a master con like Robert. She said, quote, I never want to see him. I hope he's not in heaven or I am not going. As for Jan's father, Bob, he unfortunately passed away in 2018. It's just really heartbreaking and Jan says that this hurt her a lot, but that up until that day that her father died, she continued to have a close relationship to him and she just loves her parents so much. Currently, Jan is an actor. She's an author and a producer. Like I mentioned, she did make the show Abducted in Plain Sight that was on Netflix and then recently she made another limited series on Peacock called A Friend of the Family. The series on Peacock is really good. I highly recommend that you guys go watch it, but some things are over-dramatized, but it's pretty accurate since Jan worked on the show herself and helped produce it. Now, Jan actually makes a cameo on the show if you guys watch the final episode. Younger Jan goes to see a therapist, and the therapist is real-life Jan. It's actually really nice to watch this part because it feels a little bit emotional because you see real-life Jan, who is now all grown up and has lived a whole other life after this, talking to her younger self. Even if it is through acting, it was still very emotional to watch, so I definitely recommend that you guys go watch the show. Jan is very vocal about what has happened to her, and she actually started a foundation called the Jan Broberg Foundation, and the goal of this foundation is to help heal others. It provides resources to the victims of sexual assault and to their families, so Jan is just doing everything she can to help as many people as possible. So while she does receive a lot of support from the community, she also has some haters, which is very annoying. I mean, I don't understand how anyone could hate on her, but she has haters that tell her that she shares the story because she wants to make money off of it. A lot of people felt like her making the Peacock show was a money grab and Jan says, no, that's not why she made the show. And even if it was the reason, like, why is that our business? Why does it matter how Jan shares her own story and, you know, what she does with her own truth? But that's not the case here. Jan says that all the proceeds that she made from the show went directly to the foundation, not to herself. She could have bought herself a new car or 
you know, a boat, a house or something. But no, she decided to use this money for the foundation that's meant to help others. At the end of the day, that's all Jan wants. She wants people to know that it's not always strangers that are the bad guys. It could be a friend of the family. It could be a family member themselves, or it could just be someone that you know and you think you can trust. One thing she emphasizes is that predators often build trust by dividing and separating family members so that no one suspects them of doing anything dangerous. No one ever wants to think that their friend or their relative might be a bad person, but sometimes that's the case. They could be in your neighborhood, your congregation, your school, etc. And she just wants people to know that this is exactly how the worst abuses go unnoticed or unpunished. I think it's amazing that Jan is so vocal about this because it can't be easy to be constantly talking about this and remembering this traumatizing time. But Jan just wants to help others, so I admire her. And it's just truly terrible that Robert didn't serve his punishment and that he took the easy way out by taking his own life. I'm sure that was incredibly difficult for Jan, but I hope that she has been able to heal from this and I'm happy that she continues to have a close relationship with her family and that they've all done their best to move on from this. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual abuse, please contact the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673. I hope people come across this story and they learn more about the signs of grooming and manipulation and what they need to look out for to make sure that this type of abuse does not happen to anyone in their family. I know this was such a difficult case to listen to. It was definitely difficult to talk about because it's just very tragic and heartbreaking how this happened to such a young girl. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to today's episode and once again, all the information about Jan will be linked on my Instagram or under my YouTube video. Thank you guys so much for being here and for listening to episode 11 of What Happened. You guys are absolutely the best familia ever and if there's ever any other cases you would like me to cover, make sure to let me know by leaving me a comment on my YouTube video. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review What Happened wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to my YouTube channel, True Crime Jackie, on YouTube for full video episodes. You can find me on Instagram at the Jackie Flores and on TikTok at True Crime Jackie. Thank you guys again so much for being here and I will see you all in the next episode. Bye guys.